Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this week's uh, episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Grondon. And in this week's episode, we'll be previewing maybe the most bizarre World Series we've seen in the last couple years, just in terms of going into the playoffs who are actually making it. Um, on top of that, we'll talk about some of the craziness that's happened in the last two weeks in the NFL and college football. And uh, look forward to basketball season. Next week we'll do our full like basketball preview, but this week we'll give you a little taste of our thoughts on the basketball season. Yeah, once again, this is Sports Break Podcast where you know it's more con- casual conversational topics about sports, not any hot-button debate like uh, Zach Levine's now better than James Harden, anything like that. Yeah, we're not going to be – you're not going to see us as a guest on Undisputed, though if Undisputed wants us to be on there, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll fight with Stephen A. Smith or uh, – Stan, or Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless. We'll fight with Stephen A. Smith, too, on Undisputed. We'll bring them all on. Yeah, I think I'm good. Um, where do you want to start? Uh, yeah, I mean, we could break down this World Series real quick. Obviously, you know, I think everybody before the playoffs was anticipating this uh, Rays-Dodgers rematch. Or, or, and, or if they weren't picking the Dodgers, we're picking the Giants. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about the state of the AL, but, like... There wasn't a great team necessarily. Like I think a lot of people really liked the the Rays, but I don't think there was a superior team. But I definitely wouldn't have thought it would have been this matchup between uh, the Astros and the Braves. I think if you had like quizzed me of the, I think it was like twenty or twenty five possible matchups at the end of the year, this would have been probably my least likely matchup, aside from maybe like Cardinals and Yankees, just because of the math. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I probably agree with that. And, uh, you know, I mean, the big part of this has been the Braves, who are just, you know, playing out of their mind right now. They went in one game, one, two. And it just seems like everyone's hitting for this team. That's the big thing. They have an outfield now that, even though they lost Ronald Raul, uh, Acuna during the season, early in the season, they went and met, at the trade deadline, they went and got Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, and rebuilt this outfield basically to make a postseason run yeah. and this outfield now is like eddie rosario is hitting 465 this uh, postseason crazy <laughs> uh jock peterson's 273 with multiple big hits three home runs adam duvall's has a couple home runs uh, is he in a contract here jock peterson i believe so so because because yeah. i mean he's been a guy who i've been interested in in terms of he, he reminds me a lot of another i think a teammate of his yasiel puig in that he had such big highs but it seems like he's just become like a traded commodity like he's not valuable anymore yeah and this offseason i think is proving people that no jock peterson is still a very good player he just needs to be put in the right position but like yeah i think you talked about it like the 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 fact that the braves team i think if you had said before the year made the world series it necessarily wouldn't have been crazy but you're considering this braves team with marcel azuna ronald acuna jr i think they have another really big player that's injured too but yeah, it's all been on the backs of like Freeman and their really good outfield that's been killing it for them. Yeah, and then the outfield's been really good, and then combine that with the fact that they have probably the best defensive infield in baseball before they made all those trades. True. And all four of those guys are still showing up. Freddie Freeman's had a very good postseason still. He continues to just turn out good performances. Uh, you know, you got Dansby Swanson, Ozzy Albez in the middle. That's a really good combination defensively, and they've been able to hit this year too. That's another thing. And then Austin Riley at third base. I mean, that's just – I mean, there's there's nine good players in this lineup all of a sudden. 
There's nine good players basically on this field at all times, and their pitching's been pretty good this postseason too. So they're a very good team, and uh, they're doing good stuff. Now I do have a question about this team because I do think, you know, they they probably game two and game three were some of the best execution I've seen from this Braves team in the NLCS, I should say, in terms of you know facing a Dodgers team that everyone was like. Oh, this team's going to cruise to another World Series. You know, they they won the World Series last year, got even better, got even better at the trade deadline in terms of the Scherzer and uh, uh, Turner and Trey a trade, I believe. Trey Turner. Trey Turner. And then who's yeah. the other guy they got? They got a third, like, infielder. Uh, or a second infielder, I should say. I thought they got someone else. I can't remember. Anyway, so they got those really good pieces. And then, you know... Played really well against the Giants, but then Game 2 and Game 3 of the NLCS really proved how valuable this Braves team can be in terms of just being able to out-hit. I think Game 2. Maybe Game 3 and Game 4 is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, I think it was 3 and 4. Yeah, 3 and 4 is what I'm thinking of. But yeah, you're talking about like just – for. I mean, first of all, I think Freddie Freeman is one of the more – even though he's got so many All-Stars, is still one of the most underrated players in baseball just in terms of he's so consistent – He's so powerful, and yet I feel like he's left off of a lot of people's like best first baseman lists. Yeah, I mean, I think he won MVP last year, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, I think because he's in Atlanta, it's all of a sudden, you know, he's not talked about with guys like Anthony Rizzo, that kind of stuff, yeah. uh, and that's a huge thing. But yeah, I mean, they're just a really good baseball team. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this team going forward with Charlie Morton now basically going to be out the series because he, you know... He miraculously pitched 16 pitches last night with a broken broken leg. But, you know, now they're going to lose him for the rest of the series. So do they have the pitching to keep up and keep Houston off the base pads? I think that's a big thing because uh, on the other side, you know, you got Houston who is uh, another team. You know, if you go down their list, they have one, two, three, four, five players right now hitting over 300 this postseason with Kyle Tucker at 295. And Tucker mm-hmm. also has four home runs during the playoffs. So it's just they got – Bat after bat in the lineup, they got good pitching, they have good defense. I mean, this is a... This is the same old Astros that has made five straight NLC or ALCSs. That has, this is their third World Series in five. Like, I think winning this one would be so huge for Houston because it would essentially bust their whole we-needed-to-cheat-to-win narrative. Because if they can win even losing some of their really good players then I think you could say, well, no, they won the 2017 World Series because they're just good. Yeah. And this would go a long way. And especially, you know, as someone who's a uh, a Reds fan by proxy, because my brother is, uh, seeing Dusty Baker finally be able to win one would be, uh, I don't say a huge accomplishment, but would be a nice thing to see from a guy who's been around this league for a long time and went, I know, to the 2002 World Series with the Giants but didn't win it. So it would be nice to see him finally, you know, win one as a manager. Yeah. Now, the big thing dropping game one at home is that going forward, they're going to have to figure out this lineup because now you're down to one game, so you have to make up a game somehow. And also, you lost a home game, so that means you have to win in Atlanta where you don't have your DH advantage, uh, which is going to be a big thing, I think, going forward because that means, you know, Jordan Alvarez has been their best pitch, uh, best hitter this season, and he's their DH. So how do they manage? Do they put him in the lineup and just kind of risk that, even though they have a good outfield? Um and then who are you benching to put him in the lineup and keep his bat in the lineup, I think, is another big thing. So how are they going to manage that? I think it's going to be a really interesting series because it looks – on paper, it looks like Houston should win this pretty handily. But 
There's just something about this Braves team this season. And, and especially the way their bats are playing. In, defensively, I think it's going to be the big thing for the, if the Braves team win. Because I'm not saying that Houston's a bad defensive team, but it seems like right now, specifically both in the infield and in the outfield, the Braves just are on like a new like atmosphere of how good they're playing defensively. So, yeah. And I'm not saying that necessarily that they're going to win the World Series because of that, because I do think it's going to come down to you know, who's hitting better in the games and who's capitalizing on big moments. But I do think that could be the factor in that Houston, you know, we, we saw them in the Red Sox series have a couple of really bad games pitching wise. You know, you talk about giving up, I think it was three grand slams consecutively, two in two different games. Yeah. But you have to also credit that pitching stuff for being able to respond over the final three games of that series and really, make Boston's bats look pedestrian over the last couple games. So if you're this Astros team, you know you can do it pitching-wise. You just are facing a different kind of team in the Braves that doesn't need to win 9-3. to They can win 2 to nothing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to see what happens with that team going forward. I mean, I still think that they're going to be a very good – I think it's going to be a really interesting series, um, and it comes down to can – because the Astros, I think, when it came to the Red Sox, they kind of, like, weathered the storm. Because mm-hmm. it was just, like, it, it didn't really matter what they did. The Red Sox were just going to crush the ball at one point. And they kind of weathered the storm and they just said, hey, we're the better team, so let's play, like, the better team the last few games. And then won the series. Um, can they do this with this Braves team who is hot right now? Because I think that they are the better team. But the Braves are the hotter team right yeah. now. They're playing good baseball. So it comes down to that. Um well, not even necessarily the hotter team. I mean, yes, they're the hotter team, but I think when you compare them to like some of the team, like the White Sox or the uh, Red Sox, kind of funny they've played only Sox teams. Uh, yeah. The Braves are clearly the most complete team I think that the uh, Astros have played this this playoffs. Yeah. You know, they've got a little bit of everything, and yes, they have strengths in some areas, but I think when you talk about it in general. There's not necessarily a thing you can exploit on this Braves team, or at least clearly exploit. Um, I think if you're the Astros, you do just have to have like really good performance. And granted, you have the players to do it. I think uh, uh, Bregman is going to have to be big. No, Tuve is going to have to be really big in some of these games. And those are probably the two guys where you look at the Braves and say they really haven't been that good this postseason. I think Altuve, he does have the three home You mean the Astros? And, yeah. Yeah, my yeah. Bad. the Astros. Uh, Altuve is a guy who he does have three home runs and some massive like clutch hits, but he's only hitting like a buck seventy eight right now. And Bregman's right in front of him at like two forty for the postseason. So even though they're winning these games and winning these series and they're hitting the ball really well, their stars aren't really the guys who have shown up and really made things happen. If those two guys show up, then all of a sudden this is a really dangerous team. I do. I, I do wonder. And, you know, they again, they've been kind of carried by Correa and uh, I, the DH. I can't pronounce his name to save my life. Uh, Jordan. Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez. Uh, they've been, I mean, not necessarily carried, but they've been the big fuels to their fire. And, and it's not been Bregman and Altuve. Though Altuve did get that huge home run in game three, or game one of the ALCS. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, whoever, I mean, we, we say this as if it's not completely obvious but who's ever big stars can hit the biggest moments i think of like that 2013 red sox run and how big david ortiz was to that team i do think that even considering how deep both teams are i do think that freeman and 
Altuve need to have big moments in this World Series in order for their team to be successful? I think so, too. And I think, uh, you know, I think if there is a way to beat the Braves, it's, you know, kind of getting at this bullpen. Because I think that outside of Will Smith, who's been lights out as a closer, I think this bullpen is hittable. So if you can get to this bullpen, get those starters out of the game, because they do have good starters. And, you know, you're looking at Anderson, you're looking at Max Freed. Uh, they do have starters that are good and can go deep in games and are young enough to kind of do that. But if you can get at this starting lineup enough to get to the bullpen and get hits on those guys before they get to Smith, I think that the the Astros should win this series still. I do also find it funny, though, like how – I talked a little about this earlier with the Astros, but then like the narratives that can come off of this World Series. Because, you know, last year was obviously – all about the Dodgers. And if they won, then they finally got the camel off their back. And if they lost, then suddenly the the Dodgers just can't win a World Series. Yeah. Uh, this year, it's kind of, you know, as I talked about the Astros, kind of re-establishing their legitimacy and establishing themselves as maybe the team of the last five years. And if you're the Braves and you win this and you say, okay, cool, we're going to get Acuna back next year, get a, probably Azuna back next year, you can easily say, see them going back and repeating if they can do that this year. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a talented roster, and they have the capabilities of doing it. It, um, but I think as we've seen this year, you know, winning World Series is hard. Are hard. Yes. You know, that there is a but there is an element of luck involved. There is an element of talent involved, and it, you know, there's a whole lot of factors that go into winning a World Series. The baseball season is very long, so I think the Braves will be in contention for years to come, especially as these guys get healthy. But it's very hard to do over and over again. So I think they'll want to capitalize and try and win this one definitely. Um, I guess we'll go to predictions here. I will go with, uh, I'll go with Astros in seven. I think the Astros bounce back. I think they come back and win this series. I'll go Braves in six. I think this is going to very much mirror their NLCS series where they'll go up by like three games to one or something like that. Maybe three, uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, Astros will get a game or two, but then I think the Braves win it. I think I, I do agree that the Morton injury is pretty uh, crucial to how the series goes, but I personally think that the Braves have the overall balance to to segment what Ash, the Houston does. I don't think they'll be able to do in this series what they did in the Red Sox series. I think that they can maybe do that for one game, but they wouldn't be able to have the three-game swing that they did in the ALCS. So I'll say Braves in six, potentially seven, if one weird game goes the uh, Astros' way. It'll be a fun series, no doubt. Uh, quickly going to some of the teams that just lost in terms of the Dodgers and the Red Sox. Um, it is an interesting offseason when you consider the Red Sox, you know, coming off of that ALCS, both kind of looking like the better team, but also having that terrible three-game stretch to close it out. This could be a very interesting, like, pivot towards, you know, we talked about the rebuild of yeah. the Red Sox after their championship runs. They could go next year and become the, you know, spend the money and become the big dogs all over again. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be an interesting offseason for them because they didn't really – there was no expectations going into this season. I think their over-under win total was 81 games. They blew that away. Obviously, the the run in the postseason was house money, especially after beating the Yankees. But when it comes to this Red Sox team, you know, they didn't spend big in the offseason at all. They didn't spend on the trade at the trade deadline at all. They were kind of just biding their time and just say, let's just see this team play out and transition to next season. 
now now that we're heading into next season, this team had a really good season, so did they really try and capitalize on this and make a World Series run? Because I think there's a framework for a really, really, really good team, maybe the best team in baseball here. Because, you know, you look at the guys, you know, Devers is obviously an incredible player and an MVP candidate for years to come. You know, Xander Bogarts is a very good shortstop overall. Um, you know, you've got... J.D. Martinez is still one of the rely... Like, he is... And I, I don't, if he opts in. Well, if he opts in... I, but I also don't necessarily think he's going to, like, leave. If anything, he'll just get paid more. But you talk about a guy who, just looking at his numbers, has been the, a really reliable DH and right fielder. He's, you know, probably in the last couple years of his prime, but yeah. just as efficient as almost any DH right now. Um, Verdugo is a nice up-and-coming hitter. Uh I mean, I mean, they got yeah, they got pieces everywhere. They got Bobby Dahlbeck at first base, who really came on the second half of the season and was maybe the best hitter in baseball in September. Yeah, and, and that's not even a hyperbole. He was really good. Uh, you know, Renfro had, was the the steal of the century, maybe as a free agent sign, or he would have been the free agent steal of the century for what he did this season in right field if it wasn't for Garrett Whitlock out of the bullpen, all of a sudden becoming this ace eighth eighth inning person. Um, you know. So they have those pieces. They have still a decent catcher in Christian Vasquez. They still have players in the outfield. Nathan Avaldi becoming a, worth the contract. But, I mean, it really comes down yeah. to, uh, like, what 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 did they prioritize here? Because, you know, if Kyle Schwarber comes back, they're going to have to pay Kyle Schwarber. And as, you know, the debate intensifies on, is there going to be a universal DH in baseball? Well, then Kyle Schwarber is going to get paid a lot of money. And they're going to have to put up put up the price to pay for him. Now, the interesting thing I think becomes, you know, if J.D. Martinez opts out of the last year of his contract, is it Kyle Schwarber and J.D. Martinez? Is it one or the other? Do they do they double down on this Kyle Schwarber at first base thing, which I think he got grew more comfortable with in the postseason? But then you're basically limiting Dahlbeck to you're probably getting you're probably a trade piece at that point because if you're going to pay Schwarber to play first base, there's really no point in having Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, so all of these p- pieces come together. How do they balance it? So I think it's going to become an interesting conversation for the Red Sox because there's free agents they can go after. They need to improve pitching because I don't know what Chris Sale has left in the tank. I don't know if Nathan Navaldi should be a number one starter. I, the bullpen has to get better. The bullpen was bad outside of Garrett Whitlock. So there's framework for a really, really good baseball team that could win a World Series, but there's still like six or seven pieces this team needs to add. You're right, but again, if you're talking about where they were this time last year versus, you know, and, and it also starts with the guy up top. Like, Alex Cora did a lot to establish that he's not the the guy who's just the cheater. He's a very good manager in general. And mm-hmm. he, you know, I think the one thing is we haven't seen a reliable manager at the Red Sox consistently since uh francona had his run you know we talk about um uh, what's his name the the dude who was on the rays uh joe madden no no no. the the guy who then went to the red sox the 2013 uh bobby valentine well bobby valentine and then the guy who won the 2013 world series with the red sox he was the pitching coach the, that the, was john farrell farrell but he was the manager of the red sox in 2013 Yes. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. He was the Blue Jays, not the Rays. Oh, Blue, Blue Jays. Sorry. Yeah, that's My bad. So, yeah, you talk about Valentine, and then you talk about Farrell. Just had decent years, but then never was able to turn that into, like, consistent success. 
it looks like Cora at the very least is going to be a com competitive and competent manager for the next couple years, which, you know, compared to some other teams in baseball is a really high accomplishment. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's a really good manager. He might be the best. <coughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, he's obviously going to be a mainstay with this organization for as long as he wants to be, it seems like. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that this is going to be a very good team. And I think that they're going to build on this team and go forward and potentially compete for the World Series next year. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, Red Sox baseball is back. Yeah. Um, it sucks that it doesn't involve Mookie Betts, but it seems like that they've kind of figured out what this team is without him. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, if it's not going to be the same 2018 team, it's going to be a sustainable team, which we didn't see after 2013. We really didn't see a lot of that after 2007. So to see a, a sustainable team that makes the playoffs consistently is hopefully something we want to see. Yeah. Um, for the Dodgers, it's another team with a lot of questions, but I think a lot more urgency to their questions because, again, very stacked team that couldn't even make the World Series. I mean, I don't really think there's a lot of questions. They're going to run it back next year, and they're probably going to be the most talented team in baseball again. Like, what are the like? Clayton Kershaw got hurt, and they lost Clayton Kershaw. Hmm. Now they still probably had the best rotation in baseball, even without Kershaw, and this team is still going to be loaded next year. So well, this, not, they have to pay Scherzer, they have to pay Kershaw, they have to pay, and they'll probably Turner, pay those guys. They have to. They have a ton of guys they have to pay, and they'll probably pay them and still be amazing. So I mean, yeah, I think. Even if they lose two of those guys, I think uh, the Dodgers are going to be loaded next year. They're probably going to be the best team. And, uh, you know, they, they were in the conversation. They just didn't win it this year. So I think they're going to be fine. They still have, you know, an incredible framework of a team with, you know, Chris Taylor played out of his mind in the postseason. You still got Mookie Betts. You still have, you know, this middle infield that is very good with Seager and, um, you know, uh, I forget who this second baseman was. Was Turner? it Turner? Yeah, he'll probably come back. And then they got Max Muncy at first base, who was hurt too this postseason. You got Will Smith at catcher. I mean, this team is still going to be loaded, no matter who comes back or who doesn't. So, I mean, if if you had me right now pick a team to win the World Series next year, I'd pick the Dodgers. So I think that they're just fine. What What, what do you? I mean, because again, we'll see it again next year because the Padres will hopefully be back or at least yeah. be more competitive. Like they, they were a team that I know a lot of people were disappointed in this year. It may have just been a c casualty of how good the giants were. Well, and then not to mention, so the giants probably regress. And then the problem with the the Padres was it seemed like a lot of the free agent signings they made kind of flopped. Like the guys that they went and got hadn't really panned out. You look at like Blake Snell too, as a prime example of that. So the guys that they signed kind of flopped. And the Dodgers, the guys the Dodgers signed didn't flop. They just didn't win in the NLCS. So mm -hmm. if, if a failure is losing in the NLCS, you know you're a really good team and are going to be a good year, team for years to come. I guess if the Dodgers are going to add any – I mean, obviously, you know, addressing those guys who they need to have, you know, pay their contracts and give raises to and re-up, that's the first priority. If you look at the next priority for the Dodgers beyond that, I would say, you know, maybe adding a couple bullpen arms. This this team is a little still too reliant on Kenley Jansen for me sometimes. So I think, you know, once this team adds a couple bullpen arms and re-ups for next year, I think they're just going to be really good. Um, in terms of the other teams that made the playoffs, which team, outs let's say outside of our ALs and NLCS teams, do you think is most likely for regression? Regression. Um... 
depending on what they, I mean, I don't want to say the Yankees because obviously the thing with the Yankees is that, uh, like, they're gonna be they're gonna spend to fix their problems. Like, I think if you just basically said taking these years, this team, this season's rosters into next year, which team do I think regresses? I pick the Yankees, but the Yankees are obviously gonna address their roster. Like, Brett Gardner obviously can't be like a a big option for this team. They have to find pieces to replace their bad pieces. And I think they're going to do that because the Yankees spend money. So I'll go with the Cardinals cause just because, like, the Cardinals won, like, 20 games in a row to make the playoffs. Otherwise, they probably weren't making the playoffs. So I think this team's a solid team. But I don't think this team's a consistent playoff team right now. I still think if I were looking at teams for next year to make the playoffs, I'm looking at some of those other fringe playoff teams and maybe the Padres, you know, Bouncing back and jumping the Cardinals for next year. I think I'm going to go with the Brewers. Just because I think I think we're on the near the end of the Brewers run. Like the the I, I can't say dynasty because obviously they haven't made it to a World Series, but like the stretch of the Brewers is pretty good as a pretty good team. I think honestly that the Cardinals will get even better next year. You know, another year of Arenado, another year of building that team. Uh, I think they'll become I think they'll take what they did last year and build upon that to become an even better team. Mm-hmm. And I think also that the Reds should be able to be a little bit more competitive. I don't necessarily think they'll make the playoffs, but I think they'll take a few games from the Brewers. Yeah, I think the Brewers will just be able, and then in the AL, honestly, because I think that the Yankees and Red Sox will come back next year, continue to spend all the money in the world, I could see the Rays being not a great team next year. Yeah, I mean the thing, I'm just convinced the Rays are, just with this front office they have now, I'm just convinced that team's always going to be good. Because they just know how to accumulate talent and sell talent to accumulate more young talent. And, I mean, I mean, Wander Franco is probably going to be an all-star next year. Probably, yeah. I mean, he's probably going to be an all-star next year. Randy Rosarena... I think he's a decent player, but clearly he's a superstar in the postseason, even if he's just a decent player year-round. You know, they have guys like, you know, they just have a bunch of really good players. So I'm just I'm just convinced that team's always going to be good. You know, they got Shane Boz going to have the whole year now, too. That's another guy who's going to be a stud. They'll, I don't know if he's going to come back in time, but uh, Glasnow obviously didn't pitch at all this postseason or the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he should be back by All-Star game. I don't know yeah. if it'll be when he'll come back, but he should be back early enough. Like yeah, half of the I season. can't remember if it was Tommy John surgery. Anyway, but but yeah, so they, they, they have plenty of options to go with. So uh, the Brewers are an interesting one because I think that there's good players on that team, but at the same time, like, they have nobody who can hit. Like, they were, like, Colton Juan was hit 270, and Willie Adamas hit 285, and that's, like, career years for those guys. And I don't know, like, Christian Yellick clearly isn't Christian Yellick anymore. True. So, there, there but are... But he could come back next year, though. I'm not denying that. I don't know. Like, it just seems like it might be trending in the wrong direction for him. So, there's a bunch of guys who, like, I could see a lot of the Brewers players regressing. And then that team being pretty mediocre next season. Um, but we'll see what happens with them. Um, I, I think that's a good pick for a regression candidate, too. So, guys, that's been our little uh, World Series. We'll come back next week to either give an update or maybe – actually, no, I don't think they'll have the World Series done by next week. No, probably not. Uh, but we'll give you our little, like, thoughts on the couple games and uh, go from there. You know, excited. I, 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 
uh, playoff baseball is so much more exciting to me than just regular baseball. Does everything matters? It's not like you're pitching a guy and you're like, eh, it's one game out of 162. Who cares that much? Well, the season's too long, so that's. Oh, I, I I completely think that we should go to a at the very minimum 150. Yeah. Maybe maybe even less. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different options they can go with, but uh, yeah, I mean, good time for baseball still, regardless. Let's uh, let's transition over to college football and some. I mean, we've talked a lot about this year about how they feel like they're, you know, there's not a lot of good teams. I think we could definitely say that there is one good team, and that is the University of Georgia. They have been playing incredible this year. Outside of them, yeah, I kind of agree. There's not really a good team still, and it's and we're in week nine. So yeah, I mean, Georgia obviously is a team that. You know, they didn't even play last weekend. It made it look even more impressive how good they are because you saw Oklahoma State lose to Iowa State. You saw Penn State in that wacky nine overtime game lose. Which, I'll, saw, which I'll give my thoughts in a second because I was not a fan of that at all. Yeah, I mean, you saw Cincinnati barely squeak out against Navy, which Navy's an awful football team this season. You know, uh, Oregon I, barely squeak out against UCLA. Appalachian State lose to or, sorry, Appalachian State beat Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I think Coastal stinks, but regardless. They were the 14th team in the country still. I mean, they were ranked high. I didn't think it was a very good team. But, you know, kudos to them for being undefeated for so long. So you have to give them credit for that. Um, NC State lose to Miami. There were, like, I could go over all the upsets and ranked losses we've had in the last couple weeks since we haven't been on. It's still crazy. Like I, I joked about how this year is like 2007. It's still crazy. Like teams are still losing by the dozens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, uh, it's a really competitive season. I, I, I continue to say I think that it's because the teams, teams 26 through 60 are closer to the top 25 than ever before. Now I still think there's a very clear cut, probably one, two, three, four. But outside of that, I think that is pretty close that we're on the rest of the board. Well, my thought is teams 11 through 45 are all the same. Like, some team can be better this week than last week. But I think if you take outside of the top 10, and really, you look at some of these teams like Oregon, I don't think is necessarily a top 10 team, like, in terms of how they play. Uh, Obviously, we saw this week with Oklahoma State. But I think you could take, actually, you could take, like, teams 7 through uh, 50. And they all, whoever plays better that week is suddenly the best team. Yeah. But it's not, it's very close. Yeah, and I, I honestly just feel like despite all of this, it really is, it, it looks more and more like despite everything, all the craziness of this regular season, it's just going to end up with Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State in the playoff. And, and Oklahoma only because they benefit from playing a week Big 12. Or not even necessarily a week Big 12, but a Big 12 that has no other... Yeah, a week Big 12. I mean, look, I think it's looked a lot better with Caleb Williams at quarterback. Um, They run the ball incredible. Like, the weird thing is that this is a running team now. They ran for 200... I mean, it looked bad at points against Kansas, but at the same time, they still won by 12 and put up 35. Like, this team ran for 220 yards. Kennedy Brooks is a stud. Williams can run out of the backfield. And he th- uh, I just think the big thing is, is that he gives receivers a chance to make plays. Rattler wanted to make perfect throws at all times. Williams isn't afraid to chuck it down there and let Marvin Mims or... Uh, you know, let those guys go up and make big plays. And I think that changes everything. I mean, I still think this team's going to yeah. run the table because... Outside of Texas, I don't think there's any talent-level team that's keeping up with them in the Big 12. They, I mean, here's the thing. They barely won any game. Like, they have, they don't have a signature win. Like, they, 
their only game against a ranked opponent, or I think it's their only game against a ranked opponent, is Texas? Yeah. Their only game against a ranked opponent was a seven-point game. They were losing a bunch by it at halftime. Yeah. They only have, like, two other games, TCU and Kansas, that are even, like, a lot of points. The other games are, like, you know, a six-point win over Kansas State, a three-point win over West Virginia, a seven-point win over... They're not winning by a bunch. And so you look at this, like... And I can argue you that, of course, Oklahoma will make the playoff. Yeah. They just have to beat Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Not necessarily guarantees, but they do need to beat them. And they're undefeated. Why wouldn't they make the playoff? I still don't think they're a good team. And I think in any other year, they wouldn't be ranked for, uh, third or fourth. I just think Oklahoma, the, the name is going to get them ranked. And, and it does. So. And that's, that's a necessary evil, I think, in terms of college football. Like... I think it's better to overvalue the higher ranked teams that, you know, make more money than like give uh, Coastal Carolina a top five spot to see them to get destroyed in a, in a playoff game. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is, I mean, this has always been a problem with college football. It's not anything that's new and it's going to continue to be the issue with it. Um, but I think right now that you're looking at this and I still say that this is probably a top four team in the country right now. Like I just, and that's just because of this season and what how crazy this season is. I mean, unless you're willing to put, you know, I don't even know who else I put at this point because like Florida's kind of falling apart. Um, you know, Oregon obviously is the one team that could be in the conversation, but they haven't really been convincing since that Ohio State game. I mean, the and only- if you played that Ohio State game ten times, Oregon probably loses eight of them. So at mm-hmm. this point, I'm just looking at it like they're probably just going to get in. And while they don't have a statement win yet, I mean, I do feel like that Texas win in that comeback where they held Texas to three points in the second half, I would say that's the statement that Oklahoma provided. But they have three statement games coming to the end of the season, which I don't think, you know, these three teams are ranked. I'm not really to, I'm not ready to say these teams are good, though. They have at Baylor versus Ohio State at home, Iowa State, not Ohio State, Iowa State at home, and then Oklahoma State on the road. Like, if they... Talent-wise, they should beat the brakes off all three of those teams. And if they go and do that against two of those games, then I think it's a lock they're in the playoffs. Well, no, and I, I think if they do that, I'm not as hesitant as I am right now because those are at least competitive wins. Yeah. And at least wins you can hang your hat on and you can say, hey, look, we didn't decide our schedule. Like that's or we, we, don't, we can't decide our conference. That's our conference well, schedule. Well, they are, just down the line. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's our conference schedule. We beat them. We got to be in the playoff. The only other argument you could really say is because I think now it's unless something really crazy happens with Alabama, it's very likely that Georgia and Alabama will both make the playoff. At least the SEC championship game. I guess the conversation becomes, and I hate to bring it up because I feel like it's just never going to happen. But if uh, you know, like Alabama loses in the SEC championship game. Does a two-loss Alabama lose to an undefeated Cincinnati? Um, oh, oh yeah, I forgot Cincinnati existed. Sorry. Yeah, and I think Cincinnati is a solid football team, but I realize the the conversations are never going to go in Group of Five saver, and with- especially if your argument is early loss to A and M in their place with an A and M team that. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to run the table, but has a not bad shot of running the rest of the table and going 10-2. and Yeah. And then Georgia, who is Georgia. 
I think if they play competitively against Georgia and, you know, we're, we're locking in Oklahoma and we're locking in whoever the Big Ten champion is, I think you can very seriously say, well, the, if they're competitive against Georgia, then they should get in over a Cincinnati team that hasn't played. That, that's only good win is against Notre Dame. I'm not saying that's the right decision. I'm just saying yeah. I wouldn't hate that decision. Now, I think if they get destroyed by Georgia, I think you should put in Cincinnati. And not to mention, like, I'm I'm not convinced Oklahoma or Notre Dame's going to run the table at the end of the season. Like, I hope not. I hope like, not. Like, I think that, the you know, North Carolina and at Virginia – and even at Stanford at this point, and home to Georgia Tech, those are all losable games potentially. Now, I don't think they're going to lose all those games, and I don't—I just don't think they're going to win all of those games. So, all of a sudden, you're looking at this that if Notre Dame all of a sudden is 9-3, and three, how convincing is that Cincinnati win? Mm-hmm. Compared to an Alabama team who's basically, who could basically beat the brakes off of everyone— lose to Texas A&M on the road, and then lose to a team that we think is by far the best team in the country in Georgia. I, I do definitely don't think you can say anyone else at this point. Like, Oregon barely beat UCLA, so I still don't think Oregon is really that close to a uh, to the playoff, even if they go the rest of the year undefeated. But, but even, I mean, even then, you're looking at it like, so it's it, mm-hmm. it could even come down to uh, assuming that Oregon wins out. It could come down to two loss Alabama, one loss Oregon with a win at Ohio State. Oh, no, you're right. One loss Oregon. Well, yeah. Correct. One loss Oregon with a win at Ohio State, who basically lost, I think, without C.J. Verdell, who's their best offensive player, and an undefeated Cincinnati. I don't think Cincinnati is going to get picked over those two teams. My big issue with Oregon is it doesn't look like there's going to be another good team they face the rest of the year. So that could be in. Because I don't think they. But that's the same argument you have for Cincinnati. Well, no, no, no. My my thought. Well, the reason I'm saying that is they're ten right now, and Cincinnati's two, and I do think that matters, in terms of the perceived value, and in terms of I don't think Georgia will have enough wins to jump them into that conversation necessarily. Yeah. The other team you could see is, whoever if like Iowa wins out the rest of the year and loses to. Ohio State, or even if Ohio State goes in and loses to Iowa, or whoever it is in the uh, Big Ten West, right? Or Big Ten East? Uh, Ohio State would come out of the Big Ten East. Yes. Whoever loses out of the Big Ten East, I could see an argument for, well, that team is better than a two-loss Alabama, and they're like fifth. Because I do think the interesting thing is going to see how the rest of the Big Ten East beats up on each other. We've already seen kind of one team bow out in Penn State after their last couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, We'll talk about them in a second. But, you know, we still got Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State competing for that division. There could be a scenario where, let's say, Michigan has one loss but doesn't make the championship game over Ohio State. If it's a competitive game between the two, why couldn't Michigan make it over Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying Michigan that's a, State and Michigan. I mean, one of them is going to lose this week, but yes. they're still undefeated. And so. one of them will probably, I mean, one of them will probably lose to Ohio State, but could win. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this this season plays out because there's still a lot of games left to be played. I mean, that's just kind of, I mean, like a, this is all kind of projection based. I just think Ohio State's better than both of those teams. That's why I say if Ohio State wins out, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to win out, but at the same time. Like, it wouldn't be mind-blowing to see them lose to Michigan or Michigan State the way those two teams are playing. And, I mean, here's the, 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 the interesting other thought is let's say 
those three teams, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, and Michigan State, like tie each other. Mm-hmm. And let's say, or let, you know, let's let's say Ohio State gets a loss but still wins the Big Ten East. Right. Does that team not sudden like they have two losses? Can they make the playoff with two losses but a Big Ten championship? Yeah. Versus a Michigan team that maybe only has one loss but didn't qualify for the Big Ten championship. Right. Well, I mean, if they win the Big Ten championship, I feel like they're in. I, I do um, too, but that they have, like, I think if you're Michigan, you're like, well, yeah. come on. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But if you do lose to Ohio State, then you're kind of, you know, you're putting it up to their decision. And I don't think that decision goes in your favor. But then, you know, you, I mean, all of this is still speculation because you got the other side of it too with, you know, we talked about, oh, Alabama is just going to run the table. Well, you know. Auburn, uh, Ole Miss plays at Auburn this week, or is it Auburn at Ole Miss? No, it's at Auburn, I believe. At Auburn. So Ole Miss plays at Auburn. Hypothetically, you could have Ole Miss beat Auburn, Auburn beat Alabama. All of a sudden, Ole Miss is in the SEC championship game. All of a sudden, those two teams Now, are when out. they lose to Texas A&M. If, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's still a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, those teams all have two losses. They all knock each other out, basically. Yeah. So True. there's... Uh, you know, there's the, the we could go through scenario after scenario. You know, there there's still a lot of football left to be played, so I think it becomes interesting to see this. Um, it would be interesting to have that scenario happen, where like Old Miss makes it like like uh, Auburn beats Alabama, and so Old Miss makes it as a one loss SEC champion. To then think about that Arkansas game, I think game. they could beat Georgia too. I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't. I I personally don't think they will because I think Georgia's going to dominate everything they team they face. Yeah, but. I do think it's interesting if we get to that scenario and then to think about that old Miss Arkansas game and Arkansas deciding to go for it for the two point conversion to win. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the playoff implications that play that a lot of people don't remember. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. I mean the only, the only team with no margin for error at this point is Cincinnati. Cincinnati has to win and win convincingly from here on out to even put themselves in the conversation, and even then it might not be enough. But, you know, there are tough games. They got at Tulane this week. That's a difficult game, I think. Uh, SMU down the line, that's a difficult game. And then at East Carolina at the end of the season, I mean, all of these games are going to be really... I don't think that this is a sure thing that they win all of these games. So, And it's not even necessarily that they need to just win these games, which I think they do. They need to also kind of win convincingly yeah. and at least prove... like. There's going to be a lot of talks over the next couple of weeks about Heisman, especially since there's not still a clear candidate. Like there's a bunch of different guys who you could argue, but I think if you're Cincinnati, you kind of want Desmond Ritter to at least continue to be in the conversation. Yeah, because that'll even give you more legitimacy in the playoff talk. Here's how crazy this Heisman Trophy candidacy is. That you, did you see Mel Kiefer's big board for uh, uh, for the NFL draft? I think it had uh, what's his name really high, Matt Corral, right? Well, he was the number two quarterback. I think he was like 23rd. Okay. The number one quarterback on his big board was Kenny Pickett, which made me laugh. But, yeah, no. I mean, I mean, I love Kenny Pickett. Uh, but, but this is I like th- his sixth. He may be older than all of the rookies from last season. But I do think he also has the potential to be a really good. I don't think we, – we've talked about this before, and I still agree with it. I don't think this is a draft where you draft a quarterback unless you have a really big need in the top five. Yeah. This isn't a draft where you reach for one. In my opinion. I mean, Matt Krauk is a really good player, but I still don't think he's necessarily a top five pick. Uh, um, yeah. Again, I, I could see a team like if 
we'll see what's happening with Miami. But if a team like Miami or Detroit really, really likes their guy and they have the number four pick, I could see them being like, well, we might as well take him. Yeah, I mean, and this is a, you know, nearly Joe Burrow-esque transition because he's gone from pretty much an average quarterback his first few years with Pitt to now 69% completion percentage, 23 touchdowns and one interception. So it's been a really good year for Kenny Pickett and Pitt, who's 6-1, and one, kind of flying under the radar just because everyone's basically quit on the ACC. As you should. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's a good conference, but all of a sudden we could see realistically, because I think this team's the best mm. in the, div- the Have they played Wake Forest yet? Uh, or do they play Wake Forest? Because it's them and Wake Forest are the two good ACC teams. They don't play Wake Forest this season, but they just beat Clemson. And, you know, Miami's a tough game. They're going to blow out Duke. North Carolina and Virginia are tough games to end the season with another quarterback in Brennan Armstrong, who's been very good this season. So there are still tough games on the schedule, but... Like, what happens to an 11-1 Pitt team that if they win the uh, Big 12 championship? True. Uh, I will briefly mention this before we get on to kind of my final thoughts on college football. Man, Clemson, what is wrong with you this year? Like, I think before we talked about, like, back when they lost their first game and lost their second game, like, oh, this is a down year for Clemson. This doesn't feel like just a down year for a good football team. This feels like a team that's just like secretly whiffed on a bunch of draft like uh, recruiting classes that's just now catching up to that like mm-hmm. i don't know it it is it just that ugalale is not as good as we thought he was or no uh I, a lot of this team's worse than what it usually is the receivers are worse the offensive line this might be the worst uh uh this might be the worst uh offensive line i've seen in clemson in quite some time mm-hmm. uh and I think that's part of what's hurting Uyongulale this season. Um, I think the defense is worse outside of the defensive line, which watched Brian Brute. Um So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of stupid to swing it back this way, but as we've talked about this Clemson program challenging them, I think this just kind of speaks to the greatness of what Nick Saban is and what he's been able to do with Alabama because he consistently churns out a product that is, if not the best, a top-five yeah. program in college football. And there's no, there's no, there's no down seasons. A down season for Alabama is the sixth best team in football. Yeah, that that's the funny thing. We're in. I would consider this compared to at least how they've started the last couple of years a downer season, just in terms of they lost to A and M and they haven't necessarily looked great in a bunch of their other games, and yet they're still the number four team in the country or number you know, three team in the country. Yeah. Like that speaks to you. I think the I don't even want to say just dominance of Alabama, just the sheer power of Nick Saban and his coaching staff, you know, taking a guy like Bill O'Brien, who, you know, NFL coach and having him just coordinate the offense. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and I, I, I do agree with you, like Clemson, this, like Clemson is just mortal. And we saw, we saw that with Georgia last year where Georgia didn't have a good year last year. And now obviously they've rebuilt and become the best team in college football, but Alabama just does it consistently, which is why even compared to other good program teams, there is something bad about Alabama. Yeah. Like bad to the bone. Yeah. I mean, they, they're they an incredible program. So got to give them credit for that. And uh, this just speaks to it because uh, this is – I mean, I fully expect Clemson to bounce back and probably be a 10-win team next season at least. But 
this team needs a lot of pieces. You know, they yeah. need a lot of help going forward. This isn't going to be something as simple as plug in X or plug in Y and you're good next year. It's going to take uh, Dabo and Fred Venables going in and saying, how do we redo every, how do we reset this team? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting going forward. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a bad year for them. Um, so did you watch any of the Penn State games from this past weekend? Or I, from the past couple of weeks? I was basically off the grid all weekend because yes. I was at the uh, U.S. Grand Prix. Um, so. Yes, uh, for those who are unaware, Kyle has become obsessed with Formula One ever since the TV show or the Netflix show. Yeah, and it's uh, very good. And it was an incredible race, a race that went down to uh, a one-second finish. I, if I knew more about Formula One, I would comment on that, but I don't. Um, but no, so this, like, it's it's crazy to me what's happened the last couple, like, you know, talking about a team, Penn State, that was number four three weeks ago and was, like, a lot of people's team to, like, win the Big Ten. And then, obviously, that loss to Iowa really hurts and losing Clifford in that game. Or, yeah, I think you lose Clifford in that game. And then to go to Illinois and not only lose the way they did, but just put on a boring game like and i think that's honestly sometimes worse than the loss is just looking bad it was big 10 football at its finest so uh, yeah and of course it had the distinction of having maybe the thing i'm now most furious at which is the stupid overtime rules now that are in college football uh for those who weren't aware um they changed the rule in the offseason so that after the second overtime the remaining overtimes are a battle of two-point conversions and it's essentially the same thing as like old overtimes where if the score was still tied, then they went to a next overtime. Yeah. The, the, the way it's doing it now is to make it quicker so that like we don't get like the seven overtime A&M LSU game that lasted double what a normal game lasts. But on the other hand, it's really not only really boring, but it's also like I feel like not indicative of a winning team. Like it's just it's sloppy play, you know, like teams just – we we saw the 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 terrible situation of teams not being able to convert at all. Like, yeah. But I feel like we're eventually going to get to the point where overtimes are suddenly teams scoring every time. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I guess here's the comeback. Uh, because what what is it? Seven overtimes, then it goes to two point conversion off. Basically? No, no. It. I mean, the what it is now or what it was. What it is now. What it is now is you go, you play two overtimes, and then you go two-point conversions forever until one of the overtimes is broken. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the the counter would be that if it uh, if you can't win a football game in more than two overtimes, then you don't deserve to win. <laughs> so. I, you see, you say that, but I also think that the college football overtime is built to extend the game. Yeah. Because, like... The way college, especially if you're a two power five teams, you have to have built yourself to be able to score from the 25. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, the way the older, like the, the first two, and obviously they only kicked field goals. They didn't kick, score touchdowns. But you're, but like if you get into overtime, then you're giving yourself such an easy opportunity to extend the game. Yeah. Which then gets you to the third overtime, which then becomes stupid chaos. Yeah. Like, imagine if, like, Alabama and LSU from a couple years ago scored, like, 35 points and then went to overtime. That game would, like, in this new format, would go 35 overtimes, I feel like. 
It could potentially, but yeah, I mean, I think that a part of it is you also, I mean, I'm not overly worried about it because I, I don't think it applies to like the college football playoff or anything, right? They probably just play overtimes from that on out. I hope not. I don't the, like, la- the worst thing in the world would have to be like a national championship decided on a back and forth of... A two-point conversion. Off. I mean, we haven't had an overtime championship, have we? I don't think we have. Oh, no, we well, did. Uh, the Alabama-Georgia. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, didn't Florida State have one? No, they didn't. No, that was almost over. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, I think that, uh, I mean, did, did anybody want to see more of that game? No, but that, but that's the thing. I think we saw too much of that game. Yeah. I think if we had ended it in the third overtime. Yeah, having... but at the same time, those teams would have had to score is the problem. True. I mean, I'm looking at this box score, though, and this is pretty drunk. This team went nine, this game went nine overtimes, and... Illinois threw 21 passes for 38 yards. <laughs> like this is just an awful game. Yeah, and 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 two of those passes were by the backup quarterback because the other quarterback got injured in like overtime six. So, I mean, kudos to Illinois for winning, but like, yeah, I wouldn't have like at, at that point. It's like okay, well, uh, Penn State probably doesn't even deserve to win the game. So. No, and I think that's the other big thing from this game is people realizing how fraudulent Penn State had become. Yeah. Because you look at it and you're like, first of all, uh, coming off of two back-to-back losses doesn't help. Coming off of a loss to a team that you were uh, like playing at home and were favored by 20 points doesn't help. Yeah. And then uh, we talked about this yesterday, but uh, or, or Monday, I don't remember when it was, but uh, Franklin had his uh, press conference and first of all, had to fight rumors of the USC and LSU jobs, which will probably never end in yeah. this season, at least. Well, I mean, he's a hot commodity, so that's the problem. I mean, the craziest thing about this game is that uh, I remember going into the game, they had that press conference with Brett Bielema, and Brett Bielema is basically saying that oh, yeah. coming into Illinois, he needs to recruit an entire new offensive line. He basically says his entire team stinks, and then they go out and lose that team by giving up five yards per carry by, for the uh, Illinois. Like, that's, that's, that's crazy that this happened. Well, I mean, and in fairness, I think Brett Bielema said that his comments were out of question, and it was more that he just needed to recruit more depth because the old team... Don't get me wrong. Yeah. His statement is a little brash, but I don't <laughs> think his statement is as bad as people were re- relaying. Yeah. But true. at the same time, like, and then coming off of that press conference, you know, him saying, like, Franklin clearly did not seem in the right state of mind in terms of, you know, saying his team was focusing on Illinois after having already lost to Illinois and his team was going to play Ohio State in, quote-unquote, the big house. Yeah, like, cl- clearly, that if, if there is a press conference that's telling you, like, oh, James Franklin does not want to be there, it's that kind of press conference. Yeah, so. But, yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, Penn State's been clearly – I mean, obviously there are some other teams that have lost their momentum. Uh, you know, I, Oklahoma State's big loss to uh, Iowa State definitely – not only shot away their playoff hopes, but really hurt the, like, reduced the Big 12 to a bunch of competitive teams, but only one highly ranked team. Yeah. So we'll have to see going forward. Uh, okay. Let's just, uh, let's leave it off here talking about some of the uh, college football games of this week. Uh, let's start on Saturday at 11, uh, Michigan at Michigan State. This is, of course, one of those big, big 10 East uh, battles against each other. Um, personally, I think Michigan's going to be the, I think Michigan's the better team. I think Michigan should win this game. 
I mean, I think Michigan's a good team. Uh, obviously, you know, this this run for Michigan State, it feels kind of fraudulent, but then again, they might have the best running back in college football right now uh, with the way Kenneth Walker has played this season. So, I, I mean, I honestly think it just kind of comes down to that. Can, can Kenneth Walker get uh, consistent rushing yards against his Michigan defense? Because then I just I find a tough time finding ways for Michigan State to move the ball in this game if, they, if he can. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be the big matchup. And obviously, uh, whether or not, you know, McRamara and Corum can do really good things for the uh, Wolverines offense. Uh, I, I, I do wonder how much, uh, like, this game will reinvigorate the Harbaugh talks in terms of, you know, last year he was kind of a coach about to be on his way out. He kind of stuck around and now has put Michigan. If they win this game, they're a top four team. Doesn't he also stink against Michigan State? Isn't that one of the narratives? Well, I don't think it's necessarily that he stinks against Michigan State. It's that he doesn't win big games. Yeah. And when his team is ranked really high, his team struggles. Yeah. This game's going to be boring. This, I mean, I hate to say it, but this, I mean, look, you're looking at the numbers on this game. Michigan State, 3.2 yards per attempt allowed rushing. They're 16th in the country in that regard. Michigan is 29th, 3.5 yards per opponent rush attempt. Um, so, you know, you uh, you have those two factors, and you have two teams that like to run the ball. So. Yeah, you, you're talking about uh, Michigan runs more than they pass. Yeah. Michigan State technically doesn't, but when, they're, when their best player is a running back, you're, you know you're going to be running the ball. Yeah. Yeah, Walker's going to get plenty of carries in this one. I think it's going to be a pretty competitive game, though. Um, I think Michigan State does have more talent, but there is just something with the way what Mel Tucker has done and how this Michigan State team has been able to keep this up. I think that they're perfectly capable of going in and winning this game. They, they are. I do think the difference will often come down to the defense because I think Michigan's defense is slightly better than the state defense. Yeah. And I mean, it shows that in the numbers where it's 299 for Michigan versus 406 for Michigan State. Um, what's the line at? The line is at, ooh, it's four. I, I honestly may bet Michigan State. The line is four. I'm going to say Michigan, Michigan 24, Michigan State 21. I'm going to go uh, Michigan State 14, Michigan 10. You think it's going to be that low score? Yeah, this game is going to be three yards into a cloud of dust by both teams. But I think Walker gets a couple touchdowns and wins this one. Okay. I'm not disagree. I guess I'm disagreeing with the fact that I think it won't be that low scoring. I think some team will be able to break through. Uh, Maybe. I mean, And I also there, think there, there could, could be, be some defensive scores. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have turnover factor. You have these teams maybe breaking. You know, the, the, both of these teams still have playmakers that can get downfield and create a big play. I just think the defenses are pretty good in this game. Uh, I'm going to rely on that and it being Big Ten football so that, you know, and an early game too. True. You, know, you got this 11 a.m. kickoff. So I think that this is going to be kind of a, you know, a trench-like warfare. Which, by the way, can we stop having these huge top ten matchups be 11 o'clock games? That's what the 3.30 game is all about. Or Isn't the two this the Big Ten thing, the big noon kickoff or whatever? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think they okay. like doing this, well, but I don't know why. It's. I mean, they did the same thing for Iowa-Penn State, right? Yeah, I just don't think they like to be challenged for ratings, so they do that. But you are the game with the ratings. I know. <laughs> Everyone's going to watch your game versus what else is even happening? at the, Like Iowa-Wisconsin, Miami and Pittsburgh, Texas and Bay. No, you're, you're nope. the game. Don't sleep on Kenny Pickett. <laughs> 
which game would you rather watch? Miami and Pittsburgh or Michigan, Michigan State? Fair enough. Michigan State. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with them for a slim victory. But I think it's going to be – I do think this game is going to be kind of a bloodbath. I'm not expecting a ton of points. But if there's defensive turnover, you know, special teams play, we've seen that in this uh, game before in the past too. Uh, one of those things is going to add points to this and probably go over my total. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little surprised we don't have a decent 230 game. I mean, we have some interesting ones, but nothing like ranked wise. I mean, we can watch uh, Alabama slaughter LSU, or we can watch Georgia kill Florida. Uh, the, no, no, not Alabama LSU isn't this week, is it? No, I think that's next. I think next Alabama's week. off this week. Uh, uh, the one, the next, the the one interesting SEC matchup we alluded to: uh, Old Miss in Auburn. I just get the feeling that Ole Miss isn't going to win these games against the really physical teams. I feel like Auburn will win this game. I think so. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Ole Miss is a very good team. I don't think this the team should be any less than its top ten ranking. But I just think they're not built for the teams like Auburn, probably A&M, but definitely like you saw in the Alabama game. I think they're built for teams like Arkansas, teams like... Tennessee. I think I agree. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I think Auburn's going to be able to beat them up. And I think the other problem is that Auburn has a good secondary. Auburn has a good secondary. I think they have a good defense. And I think that's going to play into their hands because I feel like we're all just kind of waiting for that Matt Corral game. Like, he had those two weeks where he threw like 11 interceptions last season. And I just feel like we're kind of waiting for that this season. And I think if it does happen, it's this game. Like, I do think this is the game where he kind of gets torched. And at, and at the same time, you're talking about a Corral team or where this could be the Corral signature game. You know, yeah. we, I don't think we've necessarily had that this year, but if Corral goes out and has a really good passing performance, he could I mean, put, he a, put that, a barrier between yeah. him and the rest of the Heisman candidates. Yeah, I mean, if he does that and he looks awesome in this game and they win, he's probably going to win Heisman. Probably. Because, I mean, he the Texas A&M game, basically the only good defense left on his schedule. Because he's going to torch Liberty, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. Yeah. So if he has a signature game here and they go 10-2, and two, he's probably winning the Heisman off of this game. I do think it'll be close. I don't think that Auburn – I don't think either team's going to blow out the other. I do think we've seen a better Bo Nix and we've seen some really good performances across the board. Yes. But um, I do think it'll be close. Uh, line is negative – or two and a half to Auburn – I'll go Auburn 28, Old Miss 24. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of leaning the other way. I think it could go one of two ways. I think it's an Auburn win or it's an Ole Miss blowout. Because if Ole Miss is able to throw the ball on this team and move the ball, I don't know if Auburn has the capability with Bo Nix to keep up uh, just because of what Ole Miss can do. But, but I, I also think, think that old, or that Auburn would be a, have a great job of slowing the game yeah. down. Like, not yeah. necessarily being competitive, but, like, wasting clock. Like, a convincing Auburn win to me in this one would be, like, a 31-21 Auburn win. Like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I don't think this is the team that's going to, like, go drop 40. I know they almost did that against Arkansas, but I think Arkansas is kind of... Regressed back to the mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so... It is amazing to me how Auburn or Arkansas, like, the minute the uh, they went to Georgia, completely s- fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, I do think that like if Ole Miss is able to throw the ball on this team, I think that they can win pretty convincingly. Uh, just because I'm, I, you know, even though he's played better, I don't trust Bo Nix. So uh, 
But I am going to go with Auburn. I think Auburn wins this one. I'm going to go 28-21 Okay. Auburn. I, I, okay. So we both have Auburn winning. Uh, the final one is a game that's not going to be close uh, in terms of ranked opponents. Uh, Penn State at o- Ohio State. Uh, the line is 18 and a half. Ohio and, State wins. Yeah. Ohio it, State covers. Yes. Well, yeah, that's my thing. Uh <laughs> I remember someone talking about this in reference to the Franklin messages, but if you're a fan, the line is 18 and a half. Bet right now because Ohio State's going to win by 25. This is not even going to be close. Uh, I don't think Clifford is like I know people have said that Clifford uh, Franklin said that Clifford's 100%. I do not agree with him. I saw him in the Illinois game, and I don't think he's going to get immediately better in a week. No. Um, I think Ohio State. Seems to have a really good job of playing up against Penn State. Like, that's an opponent they really play well. Um, and I think they're hitting their stride. Yeah, so I would say uh, I'm going to go Ohio State 42, Penn State 17. Uh, I mean, Ohio State has dropped 231 points in their first uh, in their last four games. Three of those Big Ten games. One of those on the road at Illinois, um, or Indiana, sorry, not Illinois. Um, I think C.J. Stroud's kind of figured out his stride. Travion Henderson might be the most electric player in college football. Um, You know, they got Chris Olave, they got Garrett Wilson, they got all these pieces. And Penn State on the other side has a beaten-up quarterback who I don't think is healthy right now, like you said. And even with it, their only consistent offense this season has been thrown up to Jamar Dotson and let him make a play. And Jamar Dotson's perfectly capable of going into this game against an Ohio State secondary that, when they played competitive games, hasn't looked necessarily convincing. But I don't know if it's going to be enough to say, hey, Jamar Dotson, go get 30 points for us this game. I don't think that's going to happen. And I especially think after that Illinois game, this is not a Penn State team I would ever bet on. Yeah, They're they're clearly not mentally there. I understand that they just need to get to like a bye week or rest or reset. But coming in, Ohio State's the kind of team that in these games dominates you. I'm going Ohio State 52 to 17. Yeah, I'm not I mean, against that. I, I think that they're going to light this up. I mean, I continue to say, I bet on Ohio State to win the national championship before the season uh, and sprinkled a little on Oklahoma, which Oklahoma hasn't really panned out. I think Ohio State's kind of figured itself out now. Is, is there another matchup you want to highlight? Uh, let me pull it up. While we finish up our podcast today? Um. I want to see Virginia's offense against BYU. I think BYU's defense is still pretty good, even though they've lost the last two weeks. I think that uh, I, I still think it's a competitive defense, even though this team has now not looked the part against two. Uh, I know they went and beat Washington State, but Washington State kind of hung in that game too. Um, I want to see Brennan Armstrong against this team because I think this is going to be the best defense he faced so far this season. And Brennan Armstrong has been electric this season. Uh, I'm just going to pull up his numbers here real quick and explain it to you. Lefty quarterback, really good stuff from him. I actually like him as kind of a draft prospect, too. Um, 3,220 yards, 64% completion percentage, 23 passing touchdowns, 6 interceptions, plus 5 touchdowns rushing, 177 yards. I think the kid's electric. I think he's going to put up some big numbers in this game. And I got Virginia winning this one by a lot. I'm going to highlight two of the later night games. I'm going to say... First of all, Kentucky, Mississippi State. Um, Mississippi State's the kind of team I feel like that does really well against these Kentucky-type teams because they can just dink and dunk forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know this is a game where if Kentucky wins this, I think there's an unreal like a realistic shot they go eleven and one this year. 
mm-hmm. um, especially with how Tennessee's played the last couple weeks. Um, I think, and then for the same thing, I think Mississippi State could really s- put themselves in a new conversation in the SEC West if they win this game against a top 12 team. I think this game is going to be really interesting. The other one I wanted to highlight was um, SMU in Houston. I feel like no one's talking about this Houston team as much as they should. They've really bounced back. I think Holgerson has done a really good job of leading that team just as a balanced attack. Um, yeah, I think it's a pick game right now, which I think is going to be really interesting. But in terms of, you know, these are two teams in the American right now, I think it, this game is going to be your fun, like, keep going back every once in a while. And you're like, oh, it's now 32-40. Oh, it's now 45-42. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've done a good job this season. And SMU, I think, is a very good team. Tanner Monokai has been in very good this season as well. And then I agree with you with the Mississippi State thing. I, You know, part of the thing with the air raid that's so interesting is that it's not necessarily, you know, people just talk think it's just it's explosive, throw it all the time, passing offense. What I think the air raid does so well is that it basically forces you to play matchup zone. And you basically have, to, you know, there's always going, it's going to find a mismatch and then throw it at it 30 times. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure what the Kentucky team is, but if they have, you know, a, a suspect slot corner, they're going to go at him 30 times. And that's just basically how Mississippi State's going to move the ball. So I think Kentucky's going to have to try and match that. And how, how that matches up, I think it's going to be. It's also, of course, funny that it's, you know, Mike Leach against the team where he kind of built his offense. There couldn't be two more polar opposites than Mark Stoops and Mike Leach. But like in turn, yeah. <laughs> but but it's also funny because the the offensive coordinator is essentially a Stoops is a Leach learner yeah. and learned the Leach offense. Uh, Shout out to Valdosta State. Yes. So it is going to be funny. Uh, I, I do probably think Kentucky's going to win that because I think if there's anyone who's going to be able to stop or find a way to limit the the spread in that way it is stoops and i do also think that kentucky's offense will at least be better than a&m's offense when they played mississippi state which shouldn't be hard because that was probably calzada's worst performance as a passer yeah so it'll be a fun game um i'm uh i i'd still think kentucky wins handily but i do i could see the upset potential there yeah it's a one point uh pick or a one point line right now so it's very interesting kentucky mississippi state is? yeah well, cause, probably because it's in Mississippi State. I don't know. Yeah, I'll probably go back. Yeah. Tonight. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you all so much for uh, listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week to go through our basketball predictions and uh, some of our NFL thoughts. Uh, spoiler alert, don't pick on the Dolphins ever this year again. Uh, as always, my name Seattle. is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Broad. And thank you all so much for listening. Thanks and gig em.